Welcome to Madang. Today's special guest is Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. On her latest book, We Cry Justice, she shares about the Poor People's Campaign, Poverty, Social Justice, Basilea, Paul's Letters, Jubilee, Women Anointing Jesus, and so much more. Please stay tuned. Madang is sponsored by Methodist Theological School in Ohio. MTSO provides theological education and leadership in pursuit of a just, sustainable, and generative world. MTSO's five graduate degrees include the Master of Divinity, Master of Arts in Social Justice, and Doctor of Ministry. Learn more at www.mtso.edu. Please join Rainbow Push Coalition and become a member. Rainbow Push is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Jackson to empower people through grassroots advocacy. Please become a member of Push and join 50,000 of your friends, family, and colleagues representing all ages, specialties, and industries. Please take your seat at the table. Please join or donate to Rainbow Push today by going to www.rainbowpush.org. Please join global justice leader, Lisa Sharon Harper, as she hosts the Alley Tour 2022. It is a four nights of conversation, woman to woman on democracy, faith, and the fate of America. It will be held October 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24, leading up to the November 8th midterm elections. For more information and tickets, go to www thealleytour.com. Holmberg Christianity is holding Theology Bear Camp October 13 to 15 at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Homebrew is bringing together a bunch of podcasters, scholars, and people who like to nerd out when they party. They want to create a pop-up community of those zesty people who enjoy a quality God pod in their ears. Please join me and many others. Use discount code Madame to get $50 off registration. For more information, go to www.homebrewchristianity.onepages.co slash tbc22 slash. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com. This is Madang an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. Welcome to Madame. Today's very special guest is the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, who is a co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival with Reverend William Barber. She is also the director of the Cairo Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice at Union Theological Seminary. She is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA and teaches at Union Theological Seminary. She is the editor of We Cry Justice, an author of Always With Us and Revive Us Again. She has been published in the New York Times, Washington Post, Time Magazine, CNN, Religious News Service, and so many other places. I'm so thrilled to have her today to discuss her latest book, We Cry Justice, 
Reading the Bible and the Poor People's Campaign. For this book, Cornell West says, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is a towering love warrior and freedom fighter for precious poor people in the bowels of American empire. This rich collection of essays is a powerful cacophony of prophetic voices that prefigure our beloved community. So thank you so much, Liz, for coming on to Madang and being my guest. I know you are so busy traveling and speaking and doing so many things. So thank you so much for coming today. Thanks so much for having me, Grace. It's really good to be in conversation with you. Yeah, and we have so much in common. We're both PCUSA. That's right. <laughs> I always find it so exciting to meet another PCUSA because, and ordained because I feel like we're a dying breed all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially those that are committed to, you know, proclaiming the good word of, word of justice out in the yeah, world. So it, this is such a thrill to have a PCUSA. Maybe you, I, I can't remember all my other guests, but you may be my first. No, you're not. You're not. Actually, I had uh, Reverend Bruce Ray's child before. Oh, so that makes maybe sense. you're my second awesome. PCUSA ordained minister. So it's such a thrill to have you. It's great. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so before we get into this uh, very important book, I just wanted to know how you ended up um, doing this work and how you got involved with Reverend Barber to co-chair Poor People's Campaign. And I have actually been to a few of your events. You hold so many, so I can't go to all of them. So tell us, because us you know, listeners are so curious how you got involved, when you got involved, and how it all kind of came to be. Yeah, so I mean, on some level, uh, I learned about the Poor People's Campaign decades and decades ago um, from leaders from the welfare rights movement and the homeless union organizing movement and many poor and impacted folks that were, were looking back at history and towards the future about what it looks like to organize and unite poor people across all the lines that divide us in this society. And um, so when we founded the Cairo Center, um, you know, our mission really was looking at how do we reignite a poor people's campaign for today. Um, and in 2013, I, I met Reverend Dr. Barber. Um, we, we partnered on a number of, of projects. He invited me along on this moral revival tour that he organized in the 2016 elections. Um, and after that election happened, um, uh, uh, the two of us sat down and talked and said, what would it look like for us to bring uh, repairs of the breach, his organization and whole network coming out of the Ford Together Mole Mondays movement in North Carolina, but spreading across the South, spreading across the nation, alongside the, the network of the Cairo Center, um, especially poor and low income people organizing in, in places, you know, in, in dozens and dozens of, of states across the country, you know, kind of ground up movements. And, and we said, um, on, we, we held a watch night service, actually, the, the watch night, um, the the kind of New Year's Eve of um, uh, of, of 2016, um, a couple of weeks before Donald Trump was inaugurated, and we we held a teach-in all day, um, and we kind of put out the issues that were affecting people, and then we had a service, interfaith service that evening, and and you know we had said we were going to call for and build a poor people's campaign even if Trump hadn't been elected but but we felt even more emboldened um, in the necessity to call for this moral revival of our, our deepest um, constitutional and religious traditions and values um, you know to to unite people across all the lines that divide us and 
And so in 2018, we launched the Poor People's Campaign with the largest and most expansive wave of nonviolent civil disobedience in the 21st century and, and have really been organizing, you know, ever since. And, um, you know, so so my own story and, and kind of journey in this, you know, goes back to when I was a kid and I had uh, grassroots interfaith leaders, um, you know, talking about what it looks like to pull together uh, human rights and human dignity um, and, you know, the work of, of justice as rooted in our different faith traditions. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Dr. Barber's uh, uh, experiences are, are quite different and also pretty parallel um, of being also raised in, in families and in traditions um, where uh, we bring our faith, you know, into action. Um, and, and especially alongside those that are most marginalized and most vulnerable um, and most impacted by the injustice around us. Wow, and then I know in your book, you said that you were um, going along with your mother when you were only three years old to go to these marches. So I guess your mother had a huge impact on like how you will be living your life in the future. I find that's, that so interesting. That's for sure. I mean, I. I was lucky to be born into a family that was really deeply rooted in, in doing the work of justice. You know, my mom was really a full-time activist my whole growing up um, uh, from a faith perspective. And, and she did indeed, you know, bring me to, to all kinds of marches and all kinds of events, um, you know, and, 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 you know, in my case, it was really connected to my faith. Um, and then my father, uh, was an activist and a scholar of his own right. And you know, he helped kind of break open the, the FBI and show some of the abuses um, of our you know, federal intelligence agencies and, and of people in the highest kind of places of, of power. And, and he was not a, a religious person. He, he in fact um, was an atheist, um, but really supported uh, you know, the justice work we did, including from the faith perspective that myself, my mom and my siblings were, were coming from. And so, you know, all of that, um, uh, both in the past couple of years, both my parents have passed on. And I, I am very clear that 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 both they're they're still, you know, uh, organizing um, the other worlds um, and also cheering us on right here because um, I because they, you know, they, they left a, a strong legacy. Of, of work that has to get done and that's amazing because you know I'm a mother of three kids and you think that you know you don't make that of much of an impact on your kids <laughs> but certainly we do so we gotta act accordingly that's right <laughs> they that's do right. see us and so for you when I read that when you were only three that is such a wonderful thing and for you to carry on this mm -hmm. such an amazing work so thank you and I thank your parents for for leading the way for you to kind of engage in this important work with Reverend Barber. So thank you so much. You. So, um, um, so you've given us a little background of how you got involved with Reverend Barber and you guys make such a great team. I just love um, seeing how you are organizing and working together and not just physically, but also on the web and on, you know, social media, because today, you know, the young people are, the young people are all on social media. So the impact that you're making, I just thank you so much. So how did you get um, interested in putting this important work together? Because I find it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting book. I've edited books myself, and sometimes you feel like it just 
putting stuff together and it may not flow but yours is so interesting and so important that people who are busy can just pick it up and then just read that little section and put it down and reflect and you've got this all kind of set up so how did you begin uh thinking of putting this book together and i'm thinking it must have been really difficult so give us some insight yeah so i mean i think there's there's a couple of genesis to this to this book i mean one, it comes out of, you know, a, a historical um, kind of battle for the Bible that movements, social justice movements have to engage in um, if, if, if we're serious about actually impacting people's hearts and minds. Um, you know, so when we look at abolition, you know, there, there really was, a, you know, a, a battle to interpret and reinterpret the Bible to, to see what good news was there um, for the work of ending slavery. Um, and yet there were also many forces, many very powerful and formidable forces that, that used the Bible and theology to, to kind of justify the enslavement of human beings, um, oppression, you know, marginalization. Um, and I, I think we, we, we're seeing a, a battle for the Bible right now. Um, you know, uh, my first book, uh, which is called Always With Us, What Jesus Really Said About the Poor, um, takes on, you know, one of the most famous um, uh, passages in the Bible about poverty. Um, and one that people, whether they're believers or not, and whether they're well-informed in the Bible or not, seem to know that somewhere in there, God or Jesus says that poverty is inevitable. Um, you know, the, the poor will be with you always. Um, when, in fact, actually that passage and, and many others like it uh, are saying something very different if we actually study those those scripture in their context and in the context of people in struggle today. And so so one of the genesis of We Cry Justice, reading the Bible with the Poor People's Campaign is, is how do we kind of identify some of the texts that have been used and misused um, to justify an action in the face of poverty, to, to say that if God wanted to end poverty, he would do so, um, to, to say the only kind of time that folks are going to live in a, a world or society without um without racism without marginalization is is that there'll be pie in the sky when we die um but we know that that's a lie right um mm -hmm. and and that that's not the message of of our sacred text so so part of it it comes from you know an ongoing process of of community leaders and pastors and activists and scholars to interpret and reinterpret the Bible. Um, and so, you know, in this, in this book, and it's, it's, it's kind of an alternative type of devotional, right? There's yeah. 53 different oh, exactly. texts in it. Um, and, and so you could read one every week um, or a congregation could read one, you know, every week. And, and it, it puts in conversation a, a, a biblical text, sometimes one that has been used yeah. um, in ways to, to to demean and defraud people, and sometimes ones that are are the the ones that we always fall back on uh, around uh, around justice and around inclusion, um, and it puts it in conversation with with stories of 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 struggle today, stories of people organizing today, um, and and so where that also comes from is is some of the organizing work we've been doing. Um, uh, the Cairo Center and Repairs of the Breach, you know, helped to organize the Poor People's Campaign. And, and at the Cairo Center, we've we've pulled together a, a kind of cohort of different grassroots leaders. Um, some of those folks are grassroots uh, homeless folk that um, that are struggling to kind of uh, build an organizing drive amongst other unhoused people. Some of them are low wage workers. Some are 
our pastors or, or biblical scholars. Um, and, and so we, we started to talk about what would it look like um, to have this whole range of diverse leaders, you know, telling and retelling some of these stories. And, and it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't easy, and yet it was actually kind of really organic and it came together very fast um, wow. because people are just hungry to, to be interpreters of these texts and reinterpreters of these texts and to, to put them in conversation with the kind of um, injustice that is around us, but also the kind of power that grassroots people are building. And so, I mean, I, I'm amazed by the 33 different contributors to this, to this kind of volume, because, I mean, again, it's, it's, it shows the real depth and breadth of the folks that are, you know, out there building a moral movement for today um, and, and taking seriously that we can't just concede the Bible and our theological kind of and biblical foundations to others that would that would use that to kind of justify injustice when when that really has no uh, place, at least in our sacred texts. Wow, thank you for letting me know that it was organic and it was a joy to do because most of, of the editing that I've done, I don't know, maybe I've done seven or eight books. It was a nightmare. So I'm always thinking I'm never gonna edit a book, but reading yours was so different. It was like a breath of fresh air because there were so many contributors and you can use it in different ways. You can sit there and drink it all in or just take a little step here and there and it still all flows together and I must say Liz we have so many things in common so your other book uh, that you mentioned always with us um, it's part of the prophetic Christianity series with Erdman's and I wrote one uh, embracing the other and your name my daughter's name is Elizabeth Liz and then my oldest son's name is Theo so like your name embodies two of my kids so I just wanted to point that out because you mentioned always with us. So I think those who are listening can pick up all your books, We Cry Justice, Always With Us, and Revive Us Again. I think they are all so important because there are just so many social justice, um, social injustice issues that we need to tackle with, and you address them there. And I know you address a po poverty in this book too. But before we get into that, in the foreword, uh, William Barber wrote, the spirit requires a quarrel with the world's injustices. And that line just popped out into my face because I do so much work with the spirit and pneumatology. So do you, can you just share a little bit about what he was kind of, because uh, you, you know, you guys are so close, you work together, you are marching together. When he writes, the spirit requires a quarrel with the world's injustices. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, again, we, we've, we in this society, you know, the society that is the richest nation in the history of, of the world, um, and also a nation that has 140 million, almost half of its population in some form of poverty. Um, like it has, we have a complacency, we have a, a kind of acceptance of things that just are not acceptable. Um, and they're not acceptable, especially if we go back to our faith, you know, prophetic traditions. And, and so, so you, you, you have to kind of be in dialogue, but you have to push back and you have to reject um, and you have to quarrel with, um, uh, you know, anything that would, 
would dare to to kind of lessen and shorten the lives and livelihoods of of God's children. And so, you know, I I think um, in that forward, it's 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 really just kind of amazing. I mean, uh, Dr. Barber, you know, puts out this like kind of the 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 project that is ahead of us of mm-hmm. of how what what a moral movement requires is is to you know again not just name what's wrong um but also show what's right but but in the showing of what's right you know you do have to point out that it does not have to be this way that that this is not as good as it gets that this is not what was uh what god intended and and for us to say so right for us to say well we can't end poverty because there's not the resources to do so or it's just too costly you know, especially as people of faith, that's to say that God didn't create enough. That's to say that that uh, with God there isn't everything isn't possible, which is is anathema, at least in the tradition I come from. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. to to say that 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 uh, that it's God's will um, when God is so clear from Genesis all the way through Revelation that 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 is is exactly the opposite of what God's will is. Um, it, that requires a quarrel. Yeah. So actually, and he writes in the, in the foreword and then in your introduction, you write, you know, the contributions of this book emerge from the movement seeking justice for all. And then you write from Genesis to Revelation, our sec- sacred texts teach us that poverty and, and injustice are not the will of God. But, you know, I've grown up in the church and particularly the Presbyterian church, and we just become so complacent. We're not so into social justice work. That's why I find it, you know, you're doing it and you're being such a great leader and you're uh, encouraging us that it is this moral obligation. Why are we so laid back of that, you know, we kind of accept it as the will of God. And earlier in the interview, you did mention, you know, this horrific American history of genocide and then enslavement of Africans. We accept it as if it is the will of God. Why are we doing this as Christians and people of faith? Because you clearly in the book are trying to show it isn't. But why are we so accepting that it is the will of God and there and then also that there's nothing we can do about it? I mean, I think some of it kind of comes down to like a laziness um, where <laughs> thank uh, you for labeling. Yeah. And <laughs> where, where we don't where, you know, many people of faith like do not do the work of seeing what the Bible really has to say about these issues. Right. And then also kind of seeding or conceding to, to a, a small minority of people, but who have been very loud yeah. about, um, you know, what God's agenda is and very wrong. All right. Um, so Dr. Barber often says, you know, how is it that, uh, you know, that we have so many faith leaders being so loud about what God says so little um, and usually getting it wrong too. Um, and so quiet about what God says so much about, right? Uh-huh. And, 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 and and that's been the case for decades upon decades where where the, the the faith voices the religious voices that we hear in our public square in our media in our in our society in our positions of power are ones that actually have used and misused um and warped and distorted um you know uh teachings to to justify the position that they're in and to keep the status quo in place um 
But so, I, and, and I think often what's happened is that our um, communities, our faith communities, but also progressive organizing communities have just kind of let it be and haven't, haven't kind of battled that Bible and that theology out. And I don't mean in, in, in violent ways or, mm -hmm. or, but I, but I do mean that, that we have to, we have to contest this. Um, and, and, you know, if you read, uh, you know, for instance, from Thessalonians, you know, the, the, the passage, if you do not work, you shall not eat. Um, I, I had never heard this passage. I, I was teaching Bible, I was teaching Bible study in Sunday school by the age of 13. I, I, I knew my Bible. I studied my Bible. You know, I was a deacon by 16. Um, and I had never heard the second Thessalonians um, passage until welfare reform is, is coming about in the early to mid 1990s. And you have all of these senators and representatives starting to quote the Bible um, mm -hmm. saying, well, we can't have welfare because if you do not work, you cannot eat. And so therefore starting to, to, to try to put work requirements to welfare, right? Now, if you actually look at that text from Thessalonians, that letter that Paul writes um, to those early communities, he's saying exactly the opposite. He's saying that there are people that are wealthy and rich enough in the community, in the Pauline communities, these Christian communities, that they don't have to work. And they're, they're benefiting from the work of these poor low-wage workers. And that, that, that you have to all contribute to the community. And, and he's saying, you know, here's the thing, you don't do the work, you don't get the benefits of the community. That, that's, that has nothing to do with, with kicking kids off of welfare because their moms, you know, can't get a job that pays enough to keep a roof over their head. Like, it, it's, it's in fact, you know, completely a distortion, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to interpret it the way that it has been. And yet, that's what we hear. And over and over again, I mean, we can go passage to passage to passage. I mean, right now, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, the overturning of the, the right to abortion. And you have people quoting the Bible. Well, you know, there were abortions going on when Jesus was, was living. He didn't say anything about abortion. Um, and so you can't try to go and see what he said. He didn't say anything. You know, what he did say something about was feeding the hungry. You know, what he did say something about was uh, making sure that life was abundant for everybody that was here on the earth. You know, what he did say something about was visiting the prisoners. And, and so we've, we've allowed for, for folks, um, again, another quote from Dr. Barber, who pray, P-R-A-Y, on people who pray, P-R-E-Y on the poor and the marginalized and the sick and the and the disabled um and and that's a complete distortion of of what our sacred texts are really about and what our religious traditions are supposed to be um you know focused on oh, thank you so much for pointing that out and when you think about it nothing much has changed we know that there's a lot of wealthy people sitting around and not working today and you know hiring these people to work you know overtime with measly wages so things haven't changed and you know us distorting scripture hasn't changed it's been used over and over again to marginalize women and women's subordination so i'm just so grateful for your book uh, we cry justice because you point out so many of these passages um, and you enlighten us and deepen our understanding and reinforce for some of us what we have believed because you have to look at scripture holistically. You can't just take one out and use it for your own glory. 
mm -hmm. uh, per se. So thank you, uh, Liz, for showing that. You also write about, we come forward to help establish God's empire, or also called God's kingdom, Basilea, uh, reign on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, I, you know, I grew up in this evangelical church, conservative, where, you know, we are just so focused on life after death. Mm -hmm. And Brian uh, McLaren writes, you know, life isn't this evacuation plan, you know, to go and die and live there. It is this life that we are to live abundantly, as you have mentioned. So how do we go about trying to build this kingdom on earth like you and and Re reverend barber are doing it there are other folks doing it how do you help us who are lost who are preyed upon who are just throwing distorted biblical passages to reinforce their own political agenda how do we do this well i think if we look at history and including if we look at the stories that um are, are compiled in our, our sacred text and in that Bible, you know, the way change happens, the way things get better is when, when people make it so. Um, um, and, it's, and it's in fact, usually when, when people that are most impacted by that injustice come together uh, with, with people from all walks of life and, and build a movement, not just one policy or program one ministry or one kind of mutual aid project though we need all of those um but but actually put those together into a larger vision i mean i think that this is um again something that we see in our gospels over and over and over again this vision of how the world should be could be um, um god wills to be um but it is up to us to help to make it so um and and when we when we start, we come forward and we start doing that work, that's where God, you know, kind of joins us um, or maybe where we join God, um, you know, to do that work. And so, I mean, I, I, I think about a favorite passage of, of Reverend Dr. King's um, when he was kind of launching the original 1967, 68 Poor People's Campaign. And he said, you know, the, uh, the poor and dispossessed live in a cruelly unjust society. Um, uh, if they, they must organize and if they can be helped to take action together, they will do so in, with a new and unsettling force in our complacent national life. And, uh, and so I, I think that the way that we're able to, to make life better for others is to, you know, come together and organize together and, and, and to, and, and we see that, I mean, we see that in this kind of new labor movement that's that's arising right now where Starbucks workers and Dollar General workers and Amazon workers, you know, uh, folks that have been, you know, again, as Dr. Barbara says, you know, deemed essential in the pandemic, but treated as expendable, like mm -hmm. are organizing and are saying this is this is not right. You know, we, we have we see people right now organizing and resisting, you know, massive evictions and, and, and housing dislocation. We see people out there, you know, uh, talking about the climate and, and not just, you know, um, you know, in, in its, its immediate effects, um, which we can all feel, whether it's the extreme weather that we're experiencing or the storms, um, but the, what that's going to do for future generations. And we, 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 you know, we see people coming together across all of these different issues and, and, 
and kind of calling into this world, which I think, again, is exactly what Jesus and that movement are, are about, you know, back thousands of years ago and, and, and the movement that Jesus calls us into, you know, every day um, as, we, as we speak. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's to um, forgive and cancel debts. It's to pay people a living wage. It's to, you know, release all those enslaved to injustice and racism. It's to um, organize society uh, around the needs of the poor. Um, and it's to lift from the bottom so everybody can rise. And we hear this over and over and over again. And, and it's still true and it's still real and it still works in our in our society today yeah and um, just to continue that conversation you do quote isaiah 5 8 in your book about mm -hmm. uh, the prophets remind um, those in power that god sides with the poor and judges those who add house to house and join field to field you know and you know the gospels as you mentioned announce liberty to the captives forgiveness of debts a year of God's jubilees favor and, you know, on and on. So, but we have just become actually very greedy and that has led to this climate injustice that you just mentioned, this poverty issue, the housing issue. So, you know, there is so much work to do. I don't think it will even end in our own lifetime. So here in your book, you said the purpose of We Cry Justice is to provide strength, hope, and power for the more than 140 million poor. When I saw that, I was like, how can there be that many poor? And then dispossessed people living in poverty in the midst of abundance. And we think we are the richest country in the world. And we see this poverty. And I would probably say that most of them are probably people of color. We forget about refugees and immigrants who do come here for a better life and then they get caught up in the cycle of poverty. Like the stats that you get, you write in the book is just so astounding. So I don't know if you wanted to expand a bit more on that. Well, I mean, I think sometimes when we talk about the, the issue of poverty or when people hear uh, we think that it's like some small problem over there impacting yeah. one group of people. I know, that's um, and how if I people, always kind of feel it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's how we're taught to feel and, and what we're taught to know. And, and, and we think that if people just prayed harder and had fewer kids and worked harder, um, you know, uh, that, that things would be different. Um, but, you know, right now, 2022, there isn't one town, one, one county, uh, one city, anywhere in this country where if you're working full-time for minimum wage you can afford to rent even a two-bedroom apartment i mean nowhere right uh there in the right now in this country uh you know 74 million women and girls um, and those that identify as female are are poor or one small emergency from absolute economic growth um uh, right now in this country you know we throw out more food than it takes to feed everybody, not just in this country, but across the world that is hungry. And yet, since they didn't extend the child tax credit, and since there haven't been more pandemic kind of relief programs, half of the people that were accessing those programs or that child tax credit are now saying they can't afford food. Um, and, and half, 51% of our kids live in what are described as food insecure homes in a country in a world that throws out not just one time amount 
of like what could feed people, but many, many times. Right. And, and so, so it's just, it's, it's huge and it, it touches, you know, every demographic. Um, so yes, people of color, immigrants, refugees are disproportionately impacted. I mean, it's 60% of black people, 65% of Latinos, you know, 65% of indigenous native people, uh, more than 40% of, of Asian people. Um, and it's only a third of, of white people who are poor and low income in raw numbers in this country. That's actually the, the largest group of people who are poor. And I think there's some some hope and some possibility there of people coming together across these racial and geographic lines um, because people are being impacted by poverty, by low wages, by homelessness, by dirty water, by unclean air. Um, and, and people are fed up, I mean, in, in nonviolent ways, but people are tired of, of this and, 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 and are ready to do something about it. And so I think we see people doing something about it, but, but the, the numbers and the stats are just, are kind of stunning. Um, and it shows that it's not just like a small seasonal problem or a, a temporary uh, problem, or it's not that everybody one day woke up and just didn't want to work hard. Um, but that it's actually structured into our society. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and, and we have the, the choice and the possibility of, of, of structuring it a different way, um, passing policies that lift the load of poverty. Because um, again, what we also know um, is that there are actually solutions um, to, to these problems. Thanks for sharing that stats. I, I didn't know it was that high. So um, I hope the listeners are all listening very carefully. Um, your book has uh, is divided into five parts. And you know, part one is Jubilee, two is struggle and lament, three is days of liberation, four is learn as we lead, and the uh, fifth one is the advent of revolution, and actually six. Um, the birth of a movement. Uh, we don't have time to cover each of these, but I thought the first one was kind of interesting to me. So maybe we can expand or you can expand on that. The first part is Jubilee. And then you write that Jubilee parallels Pentecost when God's spirit was poured out onto a multiracial fusion movement of Jesus followers. And I thought, wow, that is so interesting to me. So we don't have time to go over all the parts, but if you can say a bit more about Jubilee, the first part, yeah. uh, that would be so interesting to us listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, the, again, I don't need to get into it, but, but, but each of these sections are kind of um, uh, many of us in the movements uh, understanding of, of the different seasons of our church, right? Um, so, so Jubilee is, is both the time right of Pentecost and right after, and it's kind of also ordinary time. And, 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 and it's, it's a season. And again, if we kind of look at the lectionary, if we look at the, 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 the way that our kind of liturgical calendar works, I mean, it's the content of what Jesus's teachings are all about. I mean, it's, it's, um, and what they're about, you know, I mean, from that inaugural sermon of, of Jesus's of like the spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to preach good news, um, evangelion to the poor, um, you know, those that have been impoverished because of structures and systems. And and um, or, or if we we look at, you know, the the prayer that Jesus teaches or if we look at that passage, the poor will be with you always um, right when Jesus is anointed. 
I mean, it's a quote of Deuteronomy 15, one of the most radical kind of Sabbath and Jubilee passages in the Bible. And so here you have actually, you know, this, this, you know, uh, tradition, this, this Jewish tradition um, that, you know, comes on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, where, um, uh, where, you know, you're supposed to organize society so that poverty is not a generational thing, um, that people might fall into some form of hardship, but, but there are structures, not the will of a good leader or a bad leader, not, um, not just the benevolence of family or friends, but, but the society, the nations are structured in a way that doesn't allow for, for poverty and marginalization and oppression to, to, to be the, be the present, the past or the future. But, but to just to be a cyclical thing that something bad happens and then society changes it so that everybody can thrive. Um, and, and how beautiful is that? Like, how beautiful is it for us to remember that that which we're doing in, you know, ordinary time is just living out the way that God calls us to live out, which is um, in a society that, that has enough for, for absolutely everybody. Okay, thank you. And then um, one of the chapters that you write deals with the woman who anoints Jesus. So she breaks this expensive ointment and wastes it on him. And this has been uh, one of my favorite passages, but I know a lot of people have difficulty with it. And you have been dealing with poverty issues in so many ways with your marches and in your several books. So say a little bit more about this one because I found it very interesting when you, um, and please everyone needs to get a copy of We Cry Justice, but just share a little bit about this particular one about, you know, and then you did mention earlier about Deuteronomy 15, the poor will always be with you. Yeah, so I mean, but where where this woman anoints Jesus and, and, and it's really important. I mean, it's really a high point of, of of the of Holy Week, um, and but then of our whole biblical story, um, you know, uh, this woman comes and pours myrrh, this holy anointing oil, on Jesus's head. And and what we know from Hebrew scriptures is that 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 process that uh, someone you know uh, uh, pouring myrrh on the head of of a leader is is what it takes for that leader um, to be anointed um, as and set apart by God as someone who's going to usher in a reign of justice, um, you know, sometimes called the Messiah or a Christ, um, sometimes understood as a, as a king or a prophet. Um, but, but it's just this simple act of anointing and here this woman does it right. And, and the, and the disciples around, uh, her and Jesus just are so mad and, and they're so mad because I mean, I think we should probably see their perspective. Um, I probably can relate to them more to be honest, than the woman or Jesus, because mm -hmm. it, it could be that they're, they think that they're trying to, to do God's will and Jesus's will. And, and so they say like, why did you just, why did you destroy this? Like, why did you, why didn't you just go and sell this um, and make a lot of money and give um, that money to the poor? Because, you know, you've been teaching us that, that, that poverty and poor people are, are a grave concern of, of God's. And, um, 
but but what they what they suggest is is really what our society still suggests in the face of poverty right um that you're supposed to earn a bunch of money or somehow get a bunch of money and give the proceeds to the poor mm-hmm. you know it's kind of doing a charity um mm-hmm. instead of ever questioning you know the process and and systems that have produced poverty in the first place and and so instead what this woman has done is anointed jesus as christ um as messiah as as a, as a leader, a ruler who has, has been set apart by God to, to usher in uh, justice. And, and then Jesus really passes it on to us in that passage and, and reminds us that he's going to die. He's going to be crucified as a, as a revolutionary, as someone who, who is a threat to the, to the empire. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but has taught us what is good and what we're supposed to do. And, and it's now our responsibility, you know, to enact um, the, the Jubilee and the, and the Sabbath prescriptions and, and to, to do what Deuteronomy 15 that he's quoting, you know, reminds us, which is to pay people a living wage and to cancel debts and to, you know, lend out money knowing you might never get it back again. Um, but then your whole nation, when you do that, you know, are, will thrive um, and you'll have no one in need among you. Um, but if if you don't do that, if you're disobedient to God's commandments, then the poor will be with you always. Then the poor will never cease to be in the land. Then uh, poverty is inevitable, not because God wills it, not because it's predicted, but because we are being disobedient to, to the very commandments, the very instruction, the very example God has given to us throughout history about actually doing the work of ending poverty. And so if poverty exists in our society, and it sure does right now, then we are not right with God. Um, But we can be. Mm. We can uh, go right back to those scriptures, go back right to those teachings, and go back to what we know works and 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 needs to happen and and actually organize a moral movement a poor people's campaign like jesus was organizing from below to 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 kind of turn over the tables of injustice and to usher in a, a reign an empire a basileia of of justice and truth and peace and love and so so i love this passage and um and thinks it's a turning point in the past in the bible because uh, it it shows us exactly where where we are uh, how we got here and where we have the potential to go. And that is to, to, to actually listen to God and to, to do the work of justice and ending poverty. Oh, thank you so much. I, I've learned so much from your book and I learned so much from this interview. I just am so grateful for all the work that you do and for taking the time to be a guest on my podcast. Just the last question. I'm just wondering if you're working on any other new piece of book or writing, if you can just share with us if you are so i'm 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 writing a couple of different things right now um i'm i'm working on a book kind of of lessons of from kind of poor people organizing poor people um Mm -hmm. and and some of the different um you know examples historically and and contemporarily um i'm also trying to work on another book based on the Bible, um, but this one being what the Bible really says about the rich and what Jesus really says about the rich um, and, and idolatry and, and hypocrisy and, and greed um, and economic injustice. Um, uh, it'll take a little while to get that one out, but, um, yeah. but I, I feel like it's kind of a good companion to, to oh, the one I've published. I think it'll be fabulous because <laughs> we don't have that many books on that topic. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm trying to kind of be great. connect yeah, it. I hope it, you get so. it done and you can come back on Madame. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, so thank you so much again. You are such a busy woman and thank you so much for sharing. And I know we couldn't get into every topic and there's like so much that your book covers. So please everyone go out and get We Cry Justice um, published by Broadleaf uh, Publishing. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Dr. Liz Theo Harris for coming on Madame today. Thank you. Madame is sponsored by Methodist Theological School in Ohio. MTSO provides theological education and leadership in pursuit of a just, sustainable, and generative world. MTSO's five graduate degrees include the Master of Divinity, Master of Arts in Social Justice, and Doctor of Ministry. Learn more at www.mtso.edu. Please join Rainbow Push Coalition and become a member. Rainbow Push is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Jackson to empower people through grassroots advocacy. Please become a member of PUSH and join 50,000 of your friends, family, and colleagues representing all ages, specialties, and industries. Please take your seat at the table. Please join or donate to Rainbow Push today by going to www.rainbowpush.org. Please join global justice leader, Lisa Sharon Harper, as she hosts the Alley Tour 2022. It is a four nights of conversation woman to woman on democracy, faith, and the fate of America. It will be held October 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24, leading up to the November 8th midterm elections. For more information and tickets, go to www.theallytour.com. Holmberg Christianity is holding Theology Beer Camp October 13th to 15th at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Homebrewed is bringing together a bunch of podcasters, scholars, and people who like to nerd out when they party. They want to create a pop-up community of those zesty people who enjoy a quality God pod in their ears. Please join me and many others. Use discount code MADAM to get $50 off registration. For more information, go to www.homebrewedchristianity.com dot one pages dot co slash tbc twenty two slash join me at the writing for your life online conference how to write dangerously september twelve through sixteen along with an outstanding group of speakers including john palovitz lisa sharon harper brian mclaren frank thomas robin henderson espinoza amy julia becker and many more. Go to writingforyourlife.com to learn more. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com.